invite the rest of you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 20 if you have a Bible, and that means the little kids are on their way out as well. I'm gone for three weeks and they change everything. New service format. All right. Acts chapter 20 is where we're going to be for our study time, so if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to find that. We'll get back to Romans here shortly, but this morning we're going to be in Acts 20, and we're going to be in Acts 20 really looking at it as a a motivation, if you will, for us to show our love for the church. And the reason it's going to be motivating for us is because we're going to see a great example of someone who went from hating the church, being opposed to the church with all of his might, all things Christian he hated. And God, sovereignly, supernaturally, converted him, Paul, and he did a spiritual 180, if you will, and he went to giving all of his efforts to opposing the church to loving the church. We're going to look at this passage with that in mind, because every now and then we, who say we love the church, I'll include myself, sometimes need a little bit of stirring. Sometimes our hearts need a little bit of stirring, and we need to be reminded that Jesus loves His church. Followers of Jesus love His church. And so if we're followers of Jesus, we should love His church as well. In fact, I think that's Paul's number one motivator motivator in this passage. If you drop down to chapter 20, verse 28, and we're just going to go to the very end there, but he's warning the Ephesian leaders. We'll eventually get here. We're going to work our way through the whole chapter. But as he's calling those leaders to be good, faithful shepherds, he says at the end of that verse, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Jesus Christ loved his church so much that he gave his own life to purchase her out and free her from the slave market of sin. Jesus loves the church so much that he died for his church. That's Acts chapter 20, verse 28. No doubt that is what is fueling the fire, fueling the passion in the heart of the Apostle Paul. He now is not a Christ hater. He now is not a church hater. He's now a Christ lover. He loves Christ. Therefore, he loves what Christ loves. Christ loves his church. Well, while none of us are apostles, we are people who say we love Christ. We love Jesus. In that sense, we need to be like the Apostle Paul and try our best by the grace of God to love what Christ loves, His church. I'm preaching this sermon first and foremost for selfish reasons because while I say I love the church, and I really do, I think, sometimes I need to be prodded a little bit and reminded. So I'll preach first and foremost to myself and I'll share a little bit. because perhaps if I feel like I need to be prodded and poked a little bit and exhorted and stirred, it's probably true for some of you as well. And so we're going to work our way through the passage. I wouldn't even call it much of a sermon. Uh, We're going to do group Bible reading. Um, I'll be the leader. I'll read and along the way fill in some of the blanks a little bit as far as some geography and things like that. And along the way, we'll seek to apply different principles that we can legitimately get from the passage. But what we want to do first and foremost is be impressed with the power of Jesus Christ to take a church hater, read the early chapters of Acts, a church hater to transform his life, making him a church lover and causing him to love the very thing that Jesus Christ loves, his church. 
The Apostle Paul didn't give his life to wanting to somehow join ministry and somehow, if I could only be when I grow up a pastor. That was the furthest thing from his mind. Some of you can relate. I can relate. The furthest thing from my mind growing up is to want to be a pastor. The furthest thing in my mind. Well, God graciously saves him, gives him a new love for the church. And we should have that kind of love for the church, whether we're apostles or pastors or Christians. And so I hope, by the grace of God, I can stir up a little bit through the reading of the passage. All right? Fair enough? I'm ready to bother you, exhort you. I love being the pastor of Omaha Bible Church. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to preach to myself and then preach to you, and then we all feel bad. <laughs> It's not a passage that makes us feel bad. It's actually a passage that, that causes us to, to want to be Christ-like and love what Christ loved. That, that's all. Let's go ahead and begin. I have an outline, but I'm not even going to share it with you because it just gets in the way, really. We'll work our way all the way through the chapter, uh, and we're just praying and hoping that God would cause this to be infectious by the power of the Holy Spirit. He starts in Macedonia and Greece. Let's go ahead and begin the first handful of verses. It says, After the uproar, which would have been in Ephesus, had ceased, Paul sent for the disciples. And when they had exhorted, when he had exhorted them and taken his leave of them, he left to go to Macedonia. When he had gone through those districts, that would have included Troas, according to 2 Corinthians 2, and had given them much exhortation, he came to Greece. And verse 3 says, And there he spent three months perhaps even writing Romans in light of Romans 15 and 16. And when a plot was formed against him by the Jews as he was about to be set to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Then verse 4, and he was accompanied by Sopatras, so is how it is in the Greek, Sopater in the English, of Berea, the son of Pyrrhus, and by Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians and Gaius of Derby and Timothy and Tychicus and Trophimus of Asia. But these had gone on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. It seems that Luke is rejoining him. Remember, we have Luke-Acts going together, describing historically what happened in the life of Jesus and then what happened in the life of the early church. Well, Luke was apart from him for a while. It seems that Luke is now rejoining uh, Paul, and they're together at this point in time. But what I want to do right now is just pause for a moment, having read those five verses, and observe the love that comes through from Paul for Christ's church. At this point in time, by him doing these things that he does in the first five verses, he's showing Christ-likeness. He's showing the kind of love that Christ had for his church. You can't miss it, really, if you're looking for it. He's spending time with them. He's investing into their lives. By now, he's gone through enough trouble that a strong man would have retired if this were a job. But this isn't his job. This is what God has called him to do. He's going to do this, and he's going to do this out of faithfulness and love for Jesus Christ, and therefore, out of love for Christ's church. He's not going to quit. He's not going to even be close to quitting. He is this tenacious energizer of an apostle who loves Christ and therefore loves his church and he will not stop. We even see this in his exhortation. In verse 1, you see there, exhorted. Verse 2, much exhortation. Verse 3, we've got this going on for three months. So, so even when he's you know, not able to go where he wants to go, even when he's on quote-unquote sabbatical, what is he doing? He's exhorting. He's giving much exhortation. He's, he's giving effort. He's giving commitment. It's impressive. 
He's giving love. He's loving them enough to exhort them. He's loving them enough to give them much exhortation, to spend time with them, even amidst the adversity. It's unmistakable for him to see that love for Christ's church. Effort, work. And here is Paul. Paul who could have been locked up in an ivory tower. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to write because that's my most effective ministry. And I think we would all have to say that would have been a pretty effective ministry. Uh, given that he's an apostle and given that he's writing under inspiration so much of the time, that would have been great. But he loves Christ church so much that he's not just going to write. He's actually going to be with them and spend time with them and invest his life into them, exhorting them. And by the way, that's not usually a way to influence people, to win friends. Exhortation involves correction and it involves uh, uh, being in people's kitchen, if you will. He's exhorting them with the truth. He's pleading with them with the truth. Why would you do that? You do that if you loved them, if you really cared about them. It doesn't take much to see the application in that, whether you're a pastor like me or a Christian like me. You love Christ, you love Christ's church. It's going to involve work. It's going to involve work. If you're a Christian, you love Christ. If you're a Christian, out of love for Christ, you love Christ's church. And if you love Christ and therefore love Christ's church, you're working hard at helping other people, even spiritually speaking. And that's a good place for some introspection. Is my Christian life all about me? Well, sometimes. That's why I need Acts 20 in my life sometimes. And maybe you can say sometimes the same is true with you. Maybe for too long of the time or too much of the time at times. It's not all about us. Paul, the great apostle, man, lock him up and just make him right. No. He's investing his life into these people. Well, let's move on to another region where he moves. It's Troas. Look at verse 6. Let's look at the next group of verses. We sailed from Philippi, which is in Macedonia, after the days of unleavened bread, and came to them at Troas within five days. And there we stayed seven days on the first day of the week when we were gathered together to break bread. A non-Sabbath gathering is what that is. Paul began uh, talking to them, intending to leave the next day, and he prolonged his message until midnight. Oh, I'm feeling the application already. Uh, Verse 8 says, uh, There were many lamps in the upper room uh, where we were gathered together. Remember, it's not Sabbath. Sabbath is a day off. Shabbat. Sabbath is day off. This is not Sabbath. So the people are working. So they're going to have their gathering at night. And so it's going to go late into the night because this is not a day off for them. So they're meeting late at night and he is preaching there. And he's preaching there until midnight. More about that later because the story gets better. Look at verse 9. And there was a young man named Eutychus sitting on the windowsill sinking into a deep sleep. And as Paul kept on talking, he was overcome by sleep and fell down from the third floor and was picked up dead. And that's those times when I burst into you know, open prayer. God, please give us a three-story building. So all the people who sleep will fall out the window and die. <laughs> okay, maybe not. That probably wouldn't be the most loving thing to do, but sometimes that's how I feel. 
Um, by the way, if you were sleeping now, you really feel dumb. And, uh, oh well, I guess I'm leaving it up to that. <laughs> but you know what? Paul loves him so much that he isn't acting as uh, belligerent as I'm acting right now. Look at verse 10. But Paul went down and fell upon him. He goes and shows compassion, right? And after embracing him, he said, Stop sleeping during my sermons. I'm an apostle. Don't you know that? (laughs) He doesn't say that. Do not be troubled, for his life is in him. When he had gone back up and broken the bread and eaten, he talked with them a long while until daybreak and then left. They took away the boy alive and were greatly comforted. Let's read a little bit more and then we'll talk about some application when it comes to his love for the church. But we, verse 13 says, going ahead to the ship, set sail for Assus, intending from there to take Paul on board, for so he had arranged it, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Assus, we took him aboard, on board and came to Mytilene. Sailing from there, we arrived the following day opposite uh, Chios, is how you'd pronounce that, birthplace of Homer. And the next day, we crossed over to Samos, birthplace of Pythagoras, the mathematician. And the day following, we came to Miletus, where Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be in Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. And I just want want to include those verses so we can include the whole chapter. But let's just pause for a second and talk about some application. Sort of redundant from what we've seen from the very beginning, but in this grouping of verses, in this locale, we see Paul's love again. He loves Christ so much that he doesn't lock himself up in a room and say, I just love Jesus, and so I've signed up for the Jesus monastery, and I'm going to show how much I love Jesus because I'm just going to be alone with him for the rest of my life. No. As nice as that would have sounded. He himself would say to go and be with Christ, to depart is much better. He knows that, but what does he do? He loves Christ so much that he spends time with Christ's church. He spends time with Christ's people. And it's going to involve effort. It's going to involve travel. It's going to involve sacrifice. Because he really, truly loves Christ. He does these things out of love for Christ. And that's impressive to see. He wants to fellowship with them. Verse 6, seven days. He wants to be there with them, fellowshipping with them, breaking bread with them. This next point of application will sound kind of funny, but I actually mean it. He loved the church so much, reflecting his love for Christ, that he was willing to preach long sermons. How about that? How about because he actually had something to say? Because he was actually teaching them the truth about Jesus Christ. He wasn't giving them sermonettes for Christianettes the last, you know, 14.5 minutes. He wasn't just stroking their egos. He loved Christ so much that he loved Christ's church. In many ways, he was just being Christ-like. Remember when Jesus was looking at the city and he was so burdened for the city because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He taught them. He didn't pet them. He taught them. He invested into their hearts and lives with the truth. And so he's showing his love for them by preaching even to to into midnight love compels him to do that look at verse 11 where it says when he had gone back up and had broken the bread and eaten he talked with them a long while until daybreak and then left so not only is he going to preach the long sermon the guy dies raise him again from the dead 
He just keeps preaching. How would that go over? You know? I hope it doesn't happen. But if somebody fell over dead right now, because they were sleeping during my sermon, <laughs> I'm praying the imprecatory psalms, God, please judge their wicked souls. No, just kidding. Somebody falls over dead, and I'm going to say, you know what, let's just clean up the mess. Somebody, you know, take care of that. And uh, verse 12. <laughs> Now, that, the story is messed up because he actually raises him from the dead. And that would be helpful to be able to do that. But So it kind of messes things up. But the point is, you know, it, it, they, their object of affect, affection wasn't even Paul. You an, you're an amazing apostle. You raised the dead. Oh, Paul, 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 Paul. You know what? It's almost an incidental. This is what happens. We deal with it. Let's get back to what's most important. talking with him a long while until daybreak, and then left. I've never had anybody die when I was preaching. I hope it never happens. I hope I die when I'm preaching, you know? That would be pretty cool. As long as I can finish my sentence and not die as a heretic or something like that. <laughs> but I do remember one time when I was preaching, and someone barged into the room. It wasn't at Omaha Bible Church. And someone barged into the room and basically stopped everything and informed me that someone that some of us knew had just been killed in a car accident. And it was a serious issue. It's probably not the best idea to stop a meeting because there's nothing you can do at that point in time anyway, but that's what happened. And so what did we do? We informed everyone, um, and then we prayed for their families. We praised God that these uh, individuals were believers who actually died in the car accident. And uh, you know what I did then? I love the people enough to do what it says in Acts 20 by example and we looked at the next verse and we finished our Bible study. Paying attention to what is ultimately a priority in loving people, it's to help them know who Christ is and what Christ has done. Let's move on to another locale. This is the lengthier one. We'll have to speed things up a little bit. Then further seeing his love in another place on his travel itinerary, we go to Miletus, which is where he talks to the Ephesian elders. He talks to these leaders. Verse 17 says, From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called him the elders of the church. Roughly 30 miles away, probably because of a travel layover, really, is what's happening. Then verse 18 says, And when they had come to him, it's wasting no time, when they come to him, I think it's intentional, it says it this way, they show up, what does he do? He said to them, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was uh, with you the whole time. I loved you. I didn't lock myself up. I wanted to be with you. You know that I love you, which is sort of getting them ready to hear what he's about ready to say. I poured my life into you. I held nothing back from you from the very moment I saw you. Then verse 19 says, this just gushes with love, serving the Lord. Is the Lord there? Paul says, you know, you were there. As soon as I saw you, I was serving the Lord. Well, the Lord has ascended. He's not there. But He's serving the Lord's church, and so He's serving the Lord. He's loving the Lord's church, so He's loving Christ. So that shows love for the church. With all humility, that shows love for Christ and His church, because it wasn't all about me, the apostle, check out what I can do. It was all about Christ, and it was all about Christ's greatness, and it was all about Christ's church and helping them, which shows humility. Love. 
and with tears, and with trials, which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. That's love, 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 love. Verse 19, again, is just gushing with love. I'm serving the Lord. I'm showing humility by giving His message and not my own. It's with tears, with trials. Uh, my life is being threatened. You know what? I don't have any conveniences. Paul had every right, if you will, to have a big, fat pity party. After all I've done for Jesus, look at me. Look where I am. No. Because his life wasn't driven by self-love. His life was driven for love for Christ, which translates into loving what Christ loves, and Christ loves His church at great expense to Him. You see the application, and it has application written all over it. When we all deserve a pity party, you know, it's time to get over the pity party, and I hate to break the news to you, but the sin called Christianity isn't about you anyway. It's about the glory of Christ, and He's been so gracious and kind as to redeem you. And now you want to love what He loves, and He loves His church, and now it's all about others, and this is just crying out, crying out at us from the pages. It's great stuff. It's a great reality check. He loved the church. And there's more, verse 20. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly from, and from house to house. So the latter part of verse 20, you know what? I was willing to go to whatever extreme was necessary to help you, to teach you the truth about Christ. But I like the beginning maybe even better of verse 20. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. You know, self-love would be shrinking. You know, you're talking to someone and they're less mature in the faith than you are. Maybe they're not even a Christian. You know what would be the most loving thing you could do when it comes to loving yourself? Shrink back. Don't tell them. Because you know what? Before you know it, if you start telling them things that they need to know, that assumes that they don't know something. That assumes that they need to learn something. That assumes they're not perfect. And oh, by now you've just really messed things up. But the most loving thing to do when you're really loving them and therefore really loving Christ and not just busy loving yourself in your little comfort zone, with wisdom, yes, as Colossians 1 says, you're not going to shrink back. You're going you're to actually tell them the truth and you're going to give them the truth and you're going to do it in love, but you are not going to shrink back. I love that example. It has love written all over it. Not self-love, but Christian love. He is so busy loving them that he's not willing to shrink back. He's going to give them whatever is profitable. Isn't that good? That's a great motivator for us. Yes, we should pray about our motives. Yes, we should check our motives. Yes, we should ask God to help us with our motives because we don't even know our motives. But God, help me to not be a shrinker-backer, if you will. Just to give people whatever is profitable. With wisdom, yes. Loves them so much to be willing to do that. Then verse 21 says, oh, this, this even makes verse 20 more impactful. Verse 21, solemnly testifying, notice the sobriety, this is serious stuff. Solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now to us as Christians, we say, yeah, that, isn't that great? 
But think of 20 and 21 together. You're not going to shrink back from anything. You're going to give them everything that is profitable. Oh, like telling them no matter what their religious background is, whether they're a Jew or a Gentile, uh uh-oh, crossing boundaries. Uh Uh-oh, this is, you know, doesn't fit with pluralistic culture, which they he was living in then. You think we're living in pluralism? You ain't seen nothing. Actually, our culture is becoming more and more like this. Not shrinking back at all. Then in verse 21, what does it say? Repentance. Oh, did you have to go there? Repentance assumes you're talking to people about their sin. Their rebellion against God. That everything's not okay. That God is opposed to them and they're opposed to God no matter how religious they might be or might not be. Paul says, I'm not going to hold anything back. I'm going to talk to people about repentance. How you need to repent from your sin. Turn from your sin. And faith too, that's the positive side. The two go hand in hand. The two go together. As you are turning from your sin, you are turning to Christ. Both happen by grace. We could look at that in other scriptures. It's not works. As you're turning to Christ, you are turning your back on your sin. The two go hand in hand. And Paul loved people so much that he wasn't willing to edit the gospel and change it. See, sometimes we mistake, we, we, we get confused. We think if you talk to people about sin and you talk to people about repentance, you talk to people about faith in Christ, oh, and Jew or Gentile, doesn't matter what ethnic background, religious background, that is so unloving. That's the exact opposite of what the Bible says. That Jesus loved His church made up of Jew and Gentile and gave Himself up for her. Then He commissions His disciples to go and make disciples of Him of all nations. Doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. Doesn't matter what your religion is. Doesn't matter how you were raised. And that just coincides with what Paul is doing. Repentance and faith. Repentance. That's exciting. That's very helpful for me. This is what love is. This is why he's so committed. He's busy doing what Jesus would want him to do. I love verses 20 and 21 together. Wherever you are in ministry, and I'm not trying to belittle this, I realize Paul is unique as an apostle, but these are things we're all called to do as Christians in other places. Whether your role is a preaching role, that's true for some of you. Whether your role is a parental role, you've got your own little pulpit there. Whether your role is a nursing home role, whether your role is a role across the fence in your backyard, which all of us have, or across the cafeteria table. These aren't things that only apply to Paul in the Bible. That's what we're looking at here. To be faithful and love people, you don't want to shrink back. You want to tell them the truth, which includes the truth about repentance. It includes the truth about faith in Christ, no matter who they are. And that's going to be true love for them. Because to not do that is love for yourself. Because you don't want to offend anybody because you want everybody to like you. The problem is, if everyone likes you, I don't know how to say this. If everyone likes you, maybe Jesus doesn't.
you deny me before men, Jesus said, I will deny you before my Father. Something to chew on. You're just quoting Bible verses. This is great for us. It's motivating for us. It's real love. Not just love for ourselves. Well, then verse 22 says, And now, behold, bound in spirit, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. Verse 23, except that, here's the only assurance that he has, that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. Hello? (laughs) You know? Oh, oh, great! I'm Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles. You know, the one promise I have from God is life is going to be pretty tough for you, pal. What? This doesn't sound like Romans 8. Well, actually it does sound like Romans 8 because Romans 8 is talking about suffering and ultimately it's going to end up good for you, glorification. Okay, it actually does. So I'm willing to go wherever God wants me to go. I didn't sign up for this anyway. I've been called by Him to do His business His way and He's already even telling me ahead of time it's going to be hard for me. But you know what? In the end, it's all going to work out so I'm just going to go where the Lord wants me to go. Now, when I go places, the Lord doesn't tell me through the power of the Holy Spirit, you know what, I can tell you one thing, pal, it's going to be bad for you there. It's never happened in my life. Probably hasn't happened in your life either. But we do know that Jesus told his followers, in this life you will have what? Trouble. We do know that Jesus said, reasoning with his disciples, they are doing this to me and you're my followers? You should expect it too. My paraphrase. So, why is he going to do this? Because he's over himself and he's busy loving Jesus and therefore by the grace of God loving what Jesus loves. He's loving his church. He's doing all things for the sake of his church. Look at verse 24. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself. You know, when I read that, I think, here's what I think. I think that's great. I want to be able to say that. And a lot of you think the same thing. When you read that verse, verse 24, but I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself. And if you read that and you think, that's great, you're probably a Christian. Because there's no way on God's green earth you would ever read that apart from being a Christian and say, that's great. You would read that, but I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself. And you'd say, what? My whole life is about me. I mean, you know what? Even the stuff I do for my kids, and I save for their tuition, and I try to have them have nice clothes, and I try to send them to the best school I could possibly send them to, and I brush their teeth, and I get them braces, and, you know, ultimately it's so you look good. So people think you're a good parent. You know, I mean, in one way or another, yeah, we sacrifice for our kids, but somehow or another, we're, we're trying to be what we're supposed to be. So to actually say, I don't consider my life of any account as dear to myself, is absolutely crazy and ludicrous, apart from believing in Jesus Christ, Him doing this very thing we read in that verse for us, and then causing us by His grace to feel this way, to see that it's bigger than Pat Avendroth. 
to really live for something that will last forever so that I may finish my course in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly. He uses that a lot, doesn't he? This is serious life. Solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. I'm committed to this because I'm living for the most important thing in the whole world that will last forever, and that's the power of the gospel. Application, you want to live for the most important thing in the whole world that will last forever? You live for the gospel because the impact will last forever. That's what he's doing. It's not varying from that. People would have said, no, Paul, you're the apostle. Don't do it. Don't go. I'm going to go because I'm living for the most important thing in the whole world and I'm doing what Jesus did and that's loving Jesus' church which shows my love for Him. Let's keep going. Verse 25. It's cost big time. Verse 25. Now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. Verse 27. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Can't help but see application there. How is it that Paul can say, clean conscience? Because I told you everything that I needed to tell you about Jesus Christ. I gave you the whole counsel of God. I gave you the multidimensional truth about salvation in Christ. I gave you the truth about justification. I gave you the truth about sanctification. I gave you the truth about glorification. I gave you the truth about Christ and His atonement. I gave you, and I didn't shrink back from giving you the whole ball of wax, if you will. And therefore, clean conscience. Therefore, look at verse 26, innocent of the blood of all men. By way of application, whether your pulpit is in your kitchen whether your pulpit is a real pulpit or is it the cafeteria, wherever it is, by way of application. If you shrink back and you don't give them the whole ball of wax, if you will, about Christ, you can reread the verse. Verse 26, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am guilty of the blood of all men, for I shrunk back from declaring to them the whole purpose of God. If I had a sound effects button, I'd push the button that says, dun, 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 dun. You're in a whole lot of trouble. That should motivate us. This is not all about Pat and getting people to like Pat. You fill in your name. This is not all about you and trying to get people to like you. If you're not giving them the truth about Christ... They're believing in things that are not true about Christ, maybe in the, under the banner of Christ, and you, are, you have blood on your hands. That's why Paul in Galatians would say, if anybody brings you a different gospel, it's still called a gospel, but it's not the gospel. He says, let them be damned. Because they're getting people to believe in a Jesus that's not really the Jesus of the Bible. So I don't take this as a bummer. I take this as very motivating. And I say, I want to be that. I want to be what he's talking about. I want to love Jesus so much and therefore love his church so much that I, that I wouldn't shrink back and I'd give the whole thing and therefore a clean conscience could say, God, I, I, I couldn't change people's hearts. I couldn't do it. You can only do that. But I did tell them everything I could possibly tell them as clear as I could tell them from your word. Nighty night, I can sleep with a clear conscience. God, please work in their hearts. 
He loves them that much. I want to love other people that much. Then for a big warning in verse 28, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. He's talking to the leaders now to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. That right there again is one of those dun-dun-dun things your knees are knocking. He's talking to the leaders and he's saying, listen, I'm going to tell you what to do and what you must do to be faithful pastors and I want you to know that what you are handling, you'd better handle with TLC. You better handle with kid gloves because what you are handling here, even in a local church, the church at Ephesus, you are handling something that Jesus Christ bought with his own dear, precious blood. Therefore, it doesn't belong to you. Therefore, you shouldn't get creative. Therefore, it's not up to you to figure out how to do church. You know what, guys? You had better watch it. Application, first and foremost, is to elders, pastors, overseers, bishops, if you're a King James reader. If you're a leader in Christ's church, it's not your church, it's His church. He bought it with His own blood. And you want to love Christ like Paul loved Christ, and therefore you handle it with great, great care. And certainly by way of application, we can move from the greater elders to the lesser, all of us as Christians in all of our different areas of ministry. I want to love Jesus so much that when it comes to dealing with what He bought with His blood that therefore belongs to Him, I'm going to be careful. It's not a great analogy, but it's, it's an analogy. It's not a great point, Pastor, but that's a point. <laughs> if you went out and looked at my truck, my Toyota Tundra, you would find a protein bar wrapper stuck right here. Uh, you'd find dirty floor mats. You'd find it pretty dirty. And if you open up the back of it, I don't know what you might find. But the oil's been changed every 5,000 miles. Anyway. It used to be 3,000. They changed it to five. Anyway. But if you have a new car, or even if you have an old car, and I borrow your car, I'm going to try my very hardest to get that car to you exactly the way you gave it to me and not spill anything, not leave any wrappers. I'm probably going to crash that car because I'm trying to be so careful because I want to be a good and faithful servant to get you your car back. Not a perfect analogy. But if we remember the church is not ours, it's Christ's. We will deal with the church differently than if we say, my church, therefore my creativity, and I do it my way. And the same is true for your sphere of ministry, not just this local church. It's not yours. It doesn't belong to you. You're a steward. Be careful. Tell them all the truth about Christ. Don't edit. And you can have a clear conscience. It goes back to the earlier verses. Well, for the sake of time, let's... Just read the rest of the passage with minimal comments. Verse 29. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. The only thing I'll say is, you know, here's Paul loving them again, and I'll bet they're wishing, Paul, why are you loving us so much? We had a good thing going, and now you're causing me to wonder who among my friends is going to be a traitor. You're really messing up the fun we were having. This is so exciting, and now you're telling us the truth. Well, it is loving to tell the truth, so he does. 
Verse 31, Therefore be on the alert. Remember that night and day for a period of three years I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. I loved you so much. I was willing to exhort you. I was willing to warn you to the point where I was crying saying, you don't even realize what's about ready to happen to you here. Please, please be faithful elders and not just be consumed with the next thing or with yourselves. You need to be faithful and loving Christ by being on the alert. Verse 32, and now I commend you to God. I can't stop it. I can't do it. I commend you to God. I give you to Him and to the Word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. That is a great, great freeing thing. Verse 33, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. That shows love too. He's not in it for the money. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and the men who were with me in everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Again, he's busy loving them and trying to get them to love in this way. Verse 36, when he said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they began to weep aloud and embrace Paul and repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word which he had spoken, that they would not see his face again, and they were accompanying him to the ship. Love, 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 love. Maybe not the way we would define it, but the way that it should be defined. Love Christ enough to love what Christ loves, and we know Christ loves his church to the point of giving himself for his church, Paul gives us a great example of that very thing. Pray with me if you would. Father, thank you for the love of Christ that he did, in fact, not just come here to be an example and some uh, sort of profound teacher, though he was certainly that, but that he came as a redeemer to actually buy us out of the slave market of sin, to free us, to do for us what we could never do for ourselves through religion or through social acts or anything else. That Christ came to redeem us, that He loved us. And certainly now, God, we want to love Your church in response, loving other believers. I pray for the believers here at Omaha Bible Church that we would not just be here taking up space, thinking about ourselves, that we truly would be showing a love for Christ, that we truly would be showing a love, therefore, for the church, His church, and that it would be obvious and that it would be evident to everyone around. In Jesus' name, amen.